0: Salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost.
1: Thanks for the welcome, and welcome to part two of this series, uh, Meet the Real Jesus. We've seen last week... Uh, Bartimaeus met the real Jesus. This week, Zacchaeus, Bart, and Zach are showing us that when real people uh, meet the real Jesus, they are forever changed. Amen? And what I want to do, just by way of introduction, is focus in a little bit on this word real. We want to meet the real Jesus. In other words, part of what we want to do is to show the real encounter, not with the stereotypes or the assumptions that people have about what Jesus is like, but seeing who the real Jesus is. Have you noticed in life generally that assumptions can be dangerous, right? Assumptions and stereotypes can mean that you miss out on the real thing. A, few, uh, a couple of years ago, I was at a quite formal dinner in, uh, in Cambridge. Um, you know, sort of a very smart suit affair. And it was, I think it was a four-course or five-course meal, very plush. And frankly, it was delicious. So I was enjoying the food and the company. And um, partway through the meal, during the main course, I looked at the menu card to see what was for dessert, and to my horror, it said Jaffa Cake. Now to my horror, because the only thing I had in mind, as you can see on the screen here, for me, this is a Jaffa Cake, right? Would you agree that's what a, a Jaffa Cake is? And I couldn't quite believe at this formal dinner in Cambridge, that there was a chef out the back, just sort of dishing out. Jaffa cakes of this description. And so I actually said, no thanks, I will go." I think I went for the cheese board instead, right? I don't, I don't even like those kinds of Jaffa cakes. And then when dessert arrived and those who opted who really knew what a Jaffa cake was, they got one of these. You can see here what a real Jaffa cake is. It's a bit of an education Cambridge, isn't it? I realized I'd never actually had a Jaffa cake, right? If that's what a Jaffa cake is, I'd never had one. All I'd had was an assumption and a stereotype. And that stereotype caused me to miss out on the real thing. Ah, sad, isn't it? I know. Here's the point, right? When it comes to Jesus, I think so many people have let Jesus pass by, if you like, have chosen not to follow him because they only have a stereotype. We want to meet the real Jesus. And when you do, you'll realize he is worth following. He's worth leaving everything for to follow Jesus. Notice in our story, Zacchaeus, he was a short man. Jesus was coming to his town, and many crowds lined the street, and he couldn't get to see Jesus. So he had a choice to make. Either he only ever knew Jesus through the crowd. He could have just peered through the crowd and only ever heard what other people said about him. In other words, he could have settled for the stereotype, Or, as we'll see, he did something quite radical to actually meet the real Jesus for himself. And I want to dare all of us today do something radical. Come and meet the real Jesus. Now, before we dive into what Zacchaeus did... Staying on this theme of the real Jesus, I can still hear maybe one or two of us who are thinking hard now, thinking, okay, we want to meet the real Jesus, and there are stereotype versions, so how do we know that the version that we're reading today in Luke's gospel, as this story is, how do we know that this is the real Jesus? How do we know that this account was not made up centuries later by people who fabricated a version of Jesus that doesn't really exist, right? How do we know that this stuff is accurate? I came into, um, as a parent, I came into our boy's bedroom. This is a few months back before Christmas. And um, it was early in the morning, and they were up, and they were on the floor by their bookshelves, and one of them, our older son, had obviously been told at school the difference between fiction and non-fiction, right? So they decided early in the morning to sort all of their books out into fiction and non-fiction categories, right? So I had one of those parent moments where you listen and they didn't realize I was there. And I listened into their conversation. And Toby, the youngest, was passing Joel, the now expert, various books. He was assessing them and telling Toby which part to put them on, right? And so one of the books that Toby passed to Joel was stories about Jesus, So he passes this book over to the expert, who looks at it, and he says, stories, yet Jesus, non-fiction, does it go on the non-fiction pile, orthodoxy seemingly was going to be preserved in our household, except that Toby looked at it, and he saw the word stories, and he passed it back for a second referral. (laughs) He said, said, well, stories, but aren't they like stories that dad tells us? You may have heard of some of my Davy the Dragon stories, right? Are, Are the stories about Jesus mythology, effectively? Joel fortunately pushed back and said, no, no, this is Jesus. Some stories are actually true, Toby. And so heresy was averted, you'll be glad to note, and orthodoxy was preserved in our home. But it's a good question, isn't it? If you get the stories of Jesus and you ask your average person in our culture, so which pile do they belong on, far too many people, sadly, are assuming they are fictional, But actually, when you look at the evidence, you can see that the gospel accounts are non-fiction. That is to say, there is far too much, overwhelming amounts of detail in the accounts to show this really happened. Luke, who wrote this account, was a doctor, right? A medic. He is a trustworthy, educated person. And he says that he researched... Within the lifetime of the contemporaries of Jesus, that is before 70 AD, he'd written his gospel based on the eyewitness accounts of real people who were there and saw what happened. And you notice, therefore, he's not shy of naming them. Who was the person in our last story? Bartimaeus, he gives his name. He was, his father was called Timaeus, he gives his father's name. Today is Zacchaeus. Now, if you want to make stuff up, within the lifetime of those who are still around to know if it happened or not, don't give names and addresses, right? That's what the Gospels do. And they don't just give names, they give the right names. They give the right names, let me explain what I mean. Have you noticed that popular boys' and girls' names change over time, right? Currently, in the UK, the most popular boys' names are Oliver and Harry. But if you went back a hundred years, the most popular boys' names were Albert and Arthur, right? Boys' names change considerably. Now, if you're making this stuff up hundreds of years later and guessing what people called their boys at this time, you'd probably get them all wrong, right? The Gospels get them all right. Guess what the most two popular names were at the time of Jesus for boys? Number one, Simon, and number two, Joseph. Read the Gospels and you'll see they are full of accounts of Simons and Josephs, right? They're the right names. Zacchaeus is in the top ten. Jesus, the name Jesus, is number seven in the most popular boys' names at this time. The, The Gospel accounts are not fabricated centuries later when people had access to Wikipedia to make it all up. This stuff is based on eyewitness accounts. Not just the names, but notice the tree. Even down to the finest details, what kind of a tree does Zacchaeus climb? A sycamore fig tree. Now you can see a picture of of one here. They were actually very rare trees. In fact, we know from other accounts that sycamore trees did grow in Jericho, and it was noted for their presence. So the gospel writers even get the kind of tree right. Isn't that extraordinary? Now bear this in mind as well. If you are vertically challenged like Zacchaeus, right? He's a short guy. And you want to climb a tree, you need to climb a tree with low hanging branches. That is exactly the nature of a sycamore tree. It would have been the one tree in Jericho that we know was there. And it would have been the one tree that a short guy could climb. The gospel writers get the whole thing right. Now here's my point. If they get all the detail right from the very names and trees in their accounts, If we can trust them with the small detail, we can trust them with a big story as well. This really is Jesus. And as we go into our Easter weekend, he really did rise from the dead as Lord of heaven and earth. We know it from the detail up. This is the real Jesus. Amen? (laughs) So when we um, come to assess these gospel stories, I encourage you with your children, put them in the non-fiction category and meet the real Jesus in here. Three principles we find from Zacchaeus for how to do this then. How do we meet the real Jesus based on this story? Number Number one, you've got to get over the crowd. To meet the real Jesus, Zacchaeus and we have to get over the crowd. Notice in the story that Jesus is passing through Jericho, this town where Zacchaeus lives. He's not stopping. He's healed Bartimaeus on the way in. and By the time he encounters Zacchaeus, he's on the way out. On the way, in fact, to complete his ultimate mission. Earlier on, he told his disciples. Effectively, he would said to them, this is now the build-up to Easter. Here he says in Luke 18, we are going up to Jerusalem, And there, all that the prophets wrote will be fulfilled. So Jesus is a man on a mission. He's tunnel vision. He's going to the cross. This is just before Easter now, as we are right here. And he is going to pay for the sins of the world. So he had no intention of stopping in Jericho. He says, I'm passing through. He would have had many offers of hospitality from the rich and the religious and the respectable. And he turns them down. And he's heading out of Jericho, and then something happens that stops the Son of God in his tracks and turns him back into Jericho. And that something is Zacchaeus. Notice what Zacchaeus did to stop Jesus in his tracks. We read in verse 4, Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus. Since Jesus was coming that way. And then we read this. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So what did Zacchaeus do to stop Jesus when he turned down all the other offers... Zacchaeus stops Jesus in his tracks and even causes Jesus to go back into Jericho and stay for a meal and even overnight with Zacchaeus. Well, notice two things Zacchaeus did. Firstly, he ran, and secondly, he climbed. Now, I know that might not sound significant to us, but actually, for a smart, wealthy, respectable man to run in this ancient world was considered disrespectful. It was considered to to be beneath an adult to run. Children run, adults walk, right? So Zacchaeus gave up his dignity in that act, and secondly, you notice he climbed. Now again, children climb trees, right? But adults are more respectable than that. They don't climb up. Men in this culture wore long robes, so to run was awkward, right? You had to hitch up that robe above the knees in a kind of cumbersome way. Imagine trying to climb a tree then with a robe on, you know? It doesn't work. He would have looked shameful and would have brought himself into disrepute with what he did. Now, here's the point then. In order to meet the real Jesus, Zacchaeus was prepared to lay aside his reputation He he got beyond what other people thought of him in order to climb up and go out on a limb to meet the real Jesus. You get the point. In order to meet the real Jesus, you've got to get over the crowd. He had a choice to make, didn't he? Either he could have kept in with the crowd, hidden behind them, and never met the real Jesus, but stayed in with other people, stayed where other people were at, or, as this picture shows, he ended up, if you like, over the crowd. Here you can see Zacchaeus, it is a, is a picture of him now separate from everyone else, now being different, going out on a limb. You know, I think one of the things that keeps us from meeting the real Jesus, from following the real Jesus, is that we're too concerned about what the crowd thinks. Would you agree? We're too concerned to keep in with the crowd. Zacchaeus must have reached a point where he just thought, "Ah, oh, forget it. I want to meet Jesus. I don't care if I have to look a bit silly. I'm gonna run, I'm gonna climb to meet the real Jesus. Some of us today, we've gotta get over the crowd. It's only the crowd that's holding us back. We know it's true, we know it's the way we should live, but it's what everyone else will think of us that keeps us down on the ground. Why not run and climb to meet Jesus today? Why not be a bit more radical than that? Some of us may be being held back from getting baptized. We've made a kind of private commitment to Jesus, but we're holding off from going public on it. Hey, come on, get over the crowd. If you will get over the crowd, you can have your life transformed by a proper encounter with Jesus. I know for myself that for many years, I was genuinely a Christian. I'd made a private commitment to Jesus, and yet I held off from getting baptized until quite late in my teenage years, even though I'd been a Christian, and I was ashamed of being a Christian, I can remember on one occasion, one of my friends actually found out that, I was, that my father actually was a minister at the time. That's what he, that was the piece of information. And i lied about what my father did for a living because I was so ashamed that someone would realize that I was from a Christian home. And so my friend, he'd worked it out from the telephone directory, remember those? Uh, He'd worked it out from the telephone directory and and I remember he was about to tell other people and I, I was so desperate to stop him that I actually punched him in the solar plexus to wind him so he couldn't speak, so he couldn't tell anyone what my father really did for a living. Now that's hiding behind the crowd, right? That's shame. Actually, that's not a free way to live continually trying to manage what other people think of us, and guard our reputation is exhausting. What a liberating thing to give up our reputation, get over the crowd, go out on a limb, and say, I want to fully identify with Jesus. It may be this is your moment to get baptized. Maybe that's the thing you need to do. It may be that you're already a believer, you're a Christian, but you've kept a low profile on social media, maybe, or a low profile in the office. And you would, up until now, have been pretty cautious. I want to encourage you, Easter's coming. Why not step out, go out on a limb, and invite some people to Easter? I don't care what the crowd think. I want people to know Jesus is alive. Will you come on Easter Sunday? This is our moment to step over our fears, get over the crowd, and be identified with Jesus. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to meet with Jesus. Just a few days later, Jesus will hang on a tree on the cross for Zacchaeus and for this world. He will be lifted up above a mocking crowd who will taunt him as he's crucified. If he did that for us, let's not hide behind the crowd. Let's get over the crowd, amen, and meet the real Jesus. Second thing that Zacchaeus needs to do, not only is, does he have to get over the crowd, but secondly, you notice he has to let Jesus into the mess. Let Jesus into the mess. And a remarkable thing happens in verse 5 and 6. As we saw in a, moment, a moment ago, we read this. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him in gladly. Now, I think this is remarkable on two fronts. Firstly, that Jesus went into Zacchaeus' house. And secondly, that Zacchaeus let Jesus into his house. Let me explain what I mean on both fronts. Firstly, notice that Jesus, the holy son of God, the Messiah, the pure Lord of glory, he he deigns to enter into... The very life and mess of Zacchaeus. He goes into Zacchaeus's home. He doesn't just have a conversation with him by the tree. He turns back round and having turned down everyone else, he enters the house of Zacchaeus. He eats his food, he reclines on his furniture, he receives his hospitality, which in this culture was a sign of friendship and of acceptance. Now, you can understand why, then, in verse 7, we read that all the people saw this and began to mutter. Such an onomatopoeic word, that, isn't it? Mutter. Could you all just say with me, mutter, mutter, mutter. Come on, say that. Mutter, mutter, mutter. That's what the crowd sounded like, with just utter disgust at what Jesus was doing. And this is what they say. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, when we understand what Zacchaeus did for a living, we understand what they're getting at. In verse 2, we're told Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, a tax collector in this culture is not the same as a respectable job for HMRC today. I just want to get that clear, okay? The tax man, and the tax collector, they're not the same thing, okay? So I'm not going to do any cheap jokes about tax inspectors. What's the difference between a tax inspector and a taxidermist? the taxidermist only takes the skin. I'm not going to do any of that kind of stuff. It's, <laughs> it's cheap, it's not necessary, right? Because, because this was different, okay? In this ancient Palestine culture, the tax collector worked on behalf of the Romans. Israel was under Roman occupation. The Romans wanted to extract as much of the money as they could, and they realized the cleverest way to do this is to appoint a local who knows what everyone's got, insider, to effectively get the taxes. We'll give them a couple of soldiers to enforce their power. And when they said to a man like Zacchaeus, okay, this is the amount you've got to collect for the Romans. Anything else you get, you can keep. Now we read that he was a wealthy man, which meant he got a lot more from his people than the Romans deserved, and he kept it for himself. Can you imagine then the level of hatred towards Zacchaeus in Jericho? Can you imagine people walking past him in his big house? Look at that fat man in his big house built on taxpayers' money. You can imagine that just the animosity towards this man. And here's the Son of God going for dinner in his home. Can you feel that now? Can you feel why they were muttering? The offense that the real Jesus causes those who were respectable and religious and who thought that they were the ones worthy of dinner with Jesus find that, in fact, Jesus has come to demonstrate a different kind of mission, and so he chooses the least respectable person in the town and says, I must come to your house for dinner. And when he comes in, did you notice what Jesus does? He goes into Zacchaeus' house. That that in itself is shocking. To the Jewish authorities of the day, it would have been like a contamination site. They, They thought of places like this as unclean. Imagine men in, operating in sort of contamination suits, dealing with toxic waste. They would have thought of Zacchaeus's house spiritually in those terms, and the Son of God just walks in. He doesn't, he doesn't say, let's talk here on the street. He, he, he might, Jesus might just have got away with it if he'd said, right, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Here's the deal. I want you to go home, sort out your mess, Put your whole estate in order, and when you've done that, come back and see me, and I might just come round to yours for dinner, okay? That might have been a more respectable thing for Jesus to do, but notice he doesn't do that. Salvation doesn't work that way. Salvation is not us sorting out our mess and then saying, Jesus, is this now good enough for you? No, no, he comes into the mess, amen? Grace is the Son of God walking into the mess. Before Zacchaeus has had a chance to sort anything out, Jesus comes in and declares today salvation has come to this house. Isn't that extraordinary? That's the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what this tells us is that Christianity is not some kind of queuing system. Christianity is about grace, not queuing. Isn't that good news? Christianity is not a system whereby Jesus is sort of available to those who make their way to the front of the queue. If you want to become a Christian today and your life is a mess, join the back of the queue. And after you've taken a long time to sort yourself out, eventually you'll get to meet the real Jesus. No, it doesn't work like that. Christianity is not joining a queue. The Son of God announces in verse 10 that the Son of Man has come to seek and save what was lost. He's here for the people who feel their life is too much of a mess for him. That's why he targets Zacchaeus. He picks the one person that everyone would have thought, well, if anyone doesn't deserve God, it's him. And he says, right, well, then God's coming to your house today. Because I want to show everyone, whatever your mess, grace is bigger than that. Grace can triumph over that. Amen? And we find this all the time, don't we? As we minister the good news of Jesus, we find that the very people who would feel like they were least religious often get a very powerful experience of the real Jesus. This is not just Zacchaeus. This is happening today as well. I get the privilege of helping on the Alpha course and see this all the time. I was chatting to one guy on our table the other week, and he was saying, he wanted to say right from the beginning, mate, I'm not religious. I'm not religious. As if in his mind he thought that would mean I, I wouldn't ever understand Jesus. I'm not religious, and then he's had an incredible experience of Jesus, and he says, I'm reading Luke's gospel. He says, I can't put the thing down. That's the nature of the good news of Jesus. It triumphs over these ideas of stereotypes and says, no, no, it's for you. <laughs> I think of another lady who on our Alpha Day had a far more powerful vision, literally a vision of Jesus, way beyond anything I've experienced. I've been a Christian for years. Christianity is not a queuing system, right? It's the grace of God. I think of another lady, one of our friends actually, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, she said, we were talking to her, what did it feel like? And she said, well, she said, I thought, I felt like I was stoned. She said, I sat back down, I thought all of our table was stoned. They had such peace and joy. Now, of course, just to reassure you, they weren't stoned. They'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. But the point was, that was the only thing she had to reference it by. Now, you might think, well, someone who knows what that's like shouldn't work. Hang on a minute. That's not grace, is it? Grace doesn't work like that. Grace says to those who've had that kind of experience, how about you meet the real Jesus? That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you. Number one, don't write yourself off. Some of you might be here today, and you think that by coming to church, you've joined the back of the queue. You see the people up the front and you think they're, they're the people who are close to Jesus. I'll wait my turn for a few years to try and sort myself. out. Listen, folks, it doesn't work like that. If you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can meet the real Jesus for yourself today. Don't write yourself off. And can I encourage this? Don't write other people off. When we think about who we're going to invite to Easter, it's not just people who we think are fairly well down the queue of respectable types. You know, you know there are some people out there and you think they're sort of almost Christians. They're so nice, they'd make great Christians, right? I want to tell you, Easter is for them and it's not just for them. It's for the people who seem a long way off. Zacchaeus, if you'd been in Jericho, you'd have thought, well, there's no point inviting him. <laughs> Jesus says, I've got to go to his house for tea. This Easter, don't, think, don't say no for anyone Jesus is saying yes to. Let's invite everyone, however far away we may think, to meet the real Jesus. Jesus went into his house. That's shock number one. But just notice that Zacchaeus let him into his house. That's shock number two. Only in this sense. We read in verse 6, he welcomed Jesus in. Now, you might think that's obvious. Of course you would. But actually, think about it from Zacchaeus's point of view. And of course you might not. Because having a conversation with Jesus out in public on the street is one thing, walking back to your home that is exactly as you left it in your life without Christ and letting him in is another. In other words, Zacchaeus had to let Jesus into the mess. Zacchaeus didn't get a chance to go home and throw all of the objects and items that represented greed and exploitation and perhaps prostitution. Who knows what that guy had been up to? He was not a respectable person. He was a sinner. He didn't have time to go home and get rid of all the evidence and then let Jesus in and fool him. He had to let Jesus into the reality. He had to show Jesus what his life was really like, not what he'd like him to think it was like. You've got to let Jesus into the mess. There's- there's no point faking it with Jesus, right? Why would you do that? I, I only say this because I think there is this temptation, even for some of us who've been Christians for many years, to fake it. We come to church and we can fake it a little bit, we can fake it at life group, but really the real stuff that's messing up our lives and other people's is the very stuff that we don't bring out into the open that it might be transformed. Now why would you do that if Jesus is coming? In this sense, if you get over the assumptions and realize Jesus is not some religious moral highway code imposer, <laughs> he's a savior. In other words, he's the guy that sorts stuff out. Why would you hide your stuff from the very person who's come to sort stuff out? That's what Zacchaeus realized. He could help. <laughs> I was... Um, I was uh, at a golf driving range uh, earlier this week doing some filming actually for this Talking Jesus course that we're involved in. and we were, um, I was at the golf driving range and the, the filming was going to involve hitting some golf balls and getting some coaching. And I was hitting some golf balls off the mat and then I saw out the corner of my eye the, um, the trainer at the whole club walking down. And guess what I did? I stopped hitting golf balls. It was instinctive. It was as if to say, I don't want that guy to see how bad I am at hitting golf balls. So I just stopped. I put the club away and I just pretended I was just chatting. And then I thought to myself, no, no, that's so counterproductive, isn't it? Here's the guy that helps you with your golf game. Why would he be the one person that you wouldn't let see how bad you are at golf? He's the guy who needs to come in and help, right? He actually came over and said a couple of things about my golf shot. And I said, how did you know that? And he said, well, you're in the coaching lane. We've got you on CCTV <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I've been watching you. You know, I can help. That was his attitude. I've seen how bad you are and I could help. <laughs> I want to say to you today, Jesus has seen how bad you are and he could help, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Let him into the mess. The real Jesus can handle the real mess in our lives. Maybe after the service, some of us need to come forward and receive some more honest prayer today for what's really going on in our lives that can bring Jesus into our mess. Now notice what happens when we do. Point three, Zacchaeus lets Jesus into the mess and then gets a chance to live out the new you. He gets to live out the new you. Jesus comes in. And as he comes into Zacchaeus's home, he announces over Zacchaeus a new identity. Verse 9, he says this, "This man too is a son of Abraham." This is Jesus in the Jewish culture changing the man's identity. What did the crowd say? "That man is a sinner." What does Jesus say? "That man is a true son of Abraham." In other words, he's part of the covenant people of God. Don't declare over him his past. Now, Jesus says, I'm declaring over him his future. He has a new identity out of which he can live a new life. Jesus has come to give us a new identity, to take away the guilt of our past in order that we might declare, he might declare a new future over us and that we might live out the new you. <laughs> Isn't that good news? We get to start over with Jesus so that our past does not need to dictate our future. Now, with that as the premise, look at how Zacchaeus responds. Verse 8, we read this Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, I love this. Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What an extraordinary thing to happen to a tax collector, wouldn't you agree? Here is a man who, before Jesus came into his life, must have been so gripped by the greed of money that he was prepared to exploit his own town to get more. And now he's saying, I want to give this away. He's giving away four times the amount. Now notice, there's no evidence of a sermon from Jesus about the importance of giving. It's just the presence of Jesus that transforms this man's life. Notice the way in which Zacchaeus spontaneously changes out of an encounter with Jesus. I love this. Grace changes us in such a natural, supernatural kind of way. It's not about getting just more sermons from Jesus, it's just the presence of Jesus that unlocks the heart of a person and transforms them. So Zacchaeus now responds Look, Lord, can you hear the kind of giddy excitement in that phrase? I love it. It's like Jesus is is perhaps talking with something else, and he's just gone off and done it. Look, Lord, look what I'm doing over here. Look at this, Lord, I'm giving my money away. (laughs) And there's this kind of giddy excitement about him. It's almost like a child. Look, Dad, (laughs) look what I've done. We get this as parents all the time, don't we? I remember just in the last couple of weeks, look dad, my my son comes in, he drags me into the other room, you don't get a choice in the matter, you're coming, look dad, and there's a hundred piece puzzle that he's completed, right, my other son comes in, look dad, come with me, takes me out in the garden, I've started a fire, what? (laughs) You've done what? (laughs) Look dad, my daughter came in, look dad, the money that I'd given her for cleaning the car, a little bit of pocket money, look dad, I'm giving it for the giving day, which was a beautiful thing. Look, Dad, look at what I'm doing now. Look at how pleased I am to live this kind of life. Can you hear that in Zacchaeus? Look, Lord, I've changed. This is the power of Jesus, isn't it? He actually gives us the power to really change. Not because we have to, but because we want to, to live a new life. And the joy of this generosity. I heard of one letter that was written to HMRC, actually, on the tax theme. A letter written to HMRC where the person said this, Dear Sir... I have become a Christian and can no longer sleep at night, so enclosed is a check for a hundred pounds that I owe you. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest." (laughs) It's a start, right? (laughs) Make a start at least, but respond to the grace of God. What joy there is in being generous. Haven't we experienced this as a church? What joy there is in generous giving. There's a sense of celebration that brings. Zacchaeus, who was locked up in the cold shadows of greed, is now enjoying a life of generosity. I feel like I've been on a bit of a journey with this myself, of becoming, by the grace of God, a more generous person and realizing how much joy there is in being generous. One little phrase that I heard that's really stayed with me is this. It's this simple phrase, You have never met an unhappy, generous person. You could write that over Zacchaeus, couldn't you? Look at him now. Look how happy. Look, Lord. Look how happy I am giving my money away. What a difference we could make if the grace of Jesus overflowed from our lives. This Easter, step back from the detail and think about this story. Jericho is utterly transformed by this one man of greed unlocked by the grace of God into a generous person. Think what could happen across all of our region if this Easter... Greed changed utterly to generosity, and we went out to invite the town with kind acts of spontaneous generosity. This is the kind of way that the, the, the real Jesus comes into a community and transforms it from the inside out. To meet the real Jesus, we need to get over the crowd. We need to let him into our mess, and we need to live out the new you on a daily basis. Now, notice with Zacchaeus that all of this ultimately came down to him in order to be free in Jesus, it came down to him giving something up. Did you notice that in the story? That, and I think it's true in life, isn't it? That so often it's not the things that we give away that make us poor, it's the things we hold on to. Yeah. Have you noticed that? In life, it's not what we give away that makes us poor, it's what we hold on to. Zacchaeus had to give up his reputation to get over the crowd. So often holding on to what other people think of us is the very thing that enslaves us. He had to give up his secrets and let Jesus into the real mess. But by doing so, he found his freedom. He had to give up his greed and some of that wealth he'd acquired. By doing so, he found his freedom. Can I ask you today, what are you holding on to that's the very thing that's holding you back? Today is our opportunity to join Zacchaeus in meeting the real Jesus by letting go of the stuff and releasing it to Jesus. By way of illustration to land this, I I heard the story. I'm pretty sure this is apocryphal made up, but it works as an illustration of how in uh, countries like Zimbabwe, how farmers catch monkeys who ruin their crops, who are pests. And apparently one way they do it is they get a barrel and they cut a very small hole in this steel barrel at the top, just big enough, for an empty monkey paw to slot into. And in the barrel, they place some peanuts, because monkeys obviously love peanuts. So the monkey sniffs the peanuts, comes along, slips its paw into the barrel, and grabs hold of a fistful of monkey paw full of peanuts. And it's trapped, right? Because the hole was big enough for the empty hand to come into and too small for the full hand to come out of. And here's the irony. The monkey will not let go of the nuts. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? Even when it hears the farmer coming along, (laughs) the monkey will not let go of the nuts. Even when it sees the gun over the farmer's shoulder, the the point is, he's trapped by its own desires. It's the things we hold on to that keep us enslaved. Today, freedom is found in saying, I'm not going to hold on to what everyone else thinks of me. I'm going to get over the crowd and be free. I'm not going to hold on to those secrets and hide it. I'm going to release it and be free. I'm not going to hold on to all of my, I'm going to be generous and be free. It's what we hold on to that enslaves us. Today we get the chance to give it up to Jesus and be free. So I want to invite us to respond that way and meet the real Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus came knocking at the door of Zacchaeus. Effectively, as he encountered him in that tree, he invited himself into his home. And today, Jesus comes knocking on the door of our hearts. Fast forward to Revelation, and we read this promise from Jesus that sounds just like those words to Zacchaeus. Behold, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, And eat with them and them with me. That's the invitation of the real Jesus today. He's knocking on the door of our hearts. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you've come knocking and seeking and looking for people like us. We thank you that because of who you are, none of us are write-offs. We thank you for amazing grace that's greater than all of our mess. And today, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that where we're holding on to things that are actually enslaving and trapping us, you'd help us in these moments to release them, that we might meet the real Jesus and find our lives transformed in his name. Amen.